Hey, podcast fans, I've got to talk to you about drinking water. As an archaeologist, I've been on surveys where we had to drink three to five liters of water every day. That's 1.3 gallons, just to basically not die. Sometimes that water just doesn't hydrate you as quickly as you're using it. That's why we've partnered with Liquid IV. The small packets make it easy to take one with you to work, to work out, or on any adventure. I like the strawberry lemonade and lemon lime ones the best. Just put one stick of Liquid IV into 16 ounces of water and get hydrated two times faster than with just water alone. And now with our partnership, you can get 20% off when you go to liquidiv.com and use the code pseudoarchaeology at checkout. That's 20% off anything you order when you shop Better Hydration Today using promo code pseudoarchaeology at liquidiv.com. You are listening to the Archaeology Podcast Network. Ancient tools and burials, plants and seeds, Neanderthals. All these things we make no apology for the study of archaeology. But we don't do dinosaurs. No, we don't do Hey everyone, and welcome to the Archaeological Fantasies Podcast, episode 32. I'm your host, Sarah, with my co-host, Ken Fader. And today we're talking about the Mina Mounds. What are they? Who built them? Why are they here? What about giant rodents? Get ready to think critically. Digging in a trench, monuments, going to the pub when the day is spent. Hey everyone, welcome back. How are you doing, Ken? I'm doing just great, Sarah. How are you? I'm good. And today we are going to discuss a interesting phenomena that happens all over the world, but here in America we call them Mima Mounds. And they are they're interesting. We did our homework on these, didn't we? <laughs> a little bit, yeah. I mean, <laughs> and for anybody listening to the podcast, if you want, there's actually what a national monument yeah. or something. Yeah, you can go hike around the Mima Mounds. Where is it in? Um, Washington State, I guess. Yeah, Washington State. But the, this, these particular features are not unique um, to that spot. They are nope. found in a lot of places in the United States and, as you say, around the world. Yeah. Um, and they they're are... really pretty cool, huh? Yeah, they're they're large mound things, I guess, earthworks, yeah. but they're not man-made. They're, I think some of the, the numbers I was seeing was they're 60 to 70 feet wide, and then they're somewhere between three to five feet tall. Yeah, and they're circular at the base. Yes. And they're, you know, they're kind of like conical mounds. Yeah. And, and I think we've talked about the, the mounds of the, the American Midwest. These are the, the burial mounds, for example. Right. That um, are found in Ohio and Illinois and Indiana, scattered throughout the Midwest. And those were built by the Adena or the Hopewell um, people, and we're st- looking at something starting a little more than 2,000 years ago, and these, when they're excavated by archaeologists, where they have been, um, invariably there are human burials found in there with with um, grave gods, grave offerings, sometimes in the center or the bottom center. Um, there's a, a crypt made of logs in which the obviously very important person who was warranted that kind of treatment and death was buried. And there's, but with the, with burial mounds, especially in uh, the Americas, there's always evidence that they were constructed uh, by people. If, if, even if when they are not burial mounds, there's always something left behind, you know, bits of basket, bits of broken pottery, jumbled up crap from what's, the building what's process. Really, yeah. What's really cool. And I've seen photographs of this in some cases, you know, when people are making, are, are producing mounds, 
they are doing this one basket load at a time because yeah. yeah. these folks don't have backhoes. Nope. They don't have large mechanized ways of piling up dirt. So what they're doing is they're filling up baskets and people are, you know, in a long kind of a conveyor belt of humans, they are laying down those basket loads, one basket at a time. And in some cases, especially when the soil is very clay, um, you can actually still almost see the basket loads. You can differentiate the basket loads, even hundreds and hundreds of years after they were made, and even see, in some cases, the impressions left by the, the basket on the actual dirt. And so in a case like that, you know, there's no question, of course, people were making those. Oh, yeah. And stratigraphically, too, you know, when, when archaeologists dig through a mound, a, an artificial pile of dirt, that is a pile of dirt that's been put up by people, that stratigraphically, that's very different from something that happens in nature. Right. Um, in a couple of cases, I've seen, you know, I've never seen the Mima mounds of Washington State up close and personal, but I have seen um, excavations of them where people have essentially cut one of these things in half. And you can see very clearly they have a, 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 a very consistent stratigraphy that they're, you know, in, in, in um, running a transect through it, the top layer is, is organically very rich and tends to be very dark. And then there's a lower level of like sandy stuff that's lighter underneath. Mm -hmm. And so that's super consistent. And that's typical of natural deposition. Mm -hmm. um, in the case of, of burial mounds, what you've had is people are getting dirt from a bunch of different places, mixing it all up and piling it all up. Imagine if you were to you know, dig a hole in your backyard and pile it up into a mound, even a couple of feet, three, four feet high, that all that dirt and all that glacial material, and it's all mixed together. It's a hodgepodge because you're just looking to pile up enough dirt to make a mound in which you can... Um, bury somebody um that's very different when you when you then come hundreds or even thousands of years later and cut through those the stratigraphy there the layering of that soil looks very different from yes. what you see when you dig through something like a mima mound where that stratigraphy the stratigraphy there is entirely natural it's not cultural yeah it's really interesting i did get the chance to excavate some um actual mounds uh few years ago and it was very interesting seeing the stratigraphy um our soil wasn't clay enough to preserve the individual basket loads but right that you could tell that the construction of the mound itself had been had been very very well planned because you could see it was almost as if they were using certain types of dirt at different points in the building process and then there were at least two different periods where they were we called it preparing the floor, uh -huh. but basically what they had done is they had gotten to the height that they, or the layer that they had wanted to get to. And then it looks like they um, burned the whole layer and just oh. burned the layer down as a preparation to clear away anything, or maybe it was some kind of ritual or something, but there were at least two layers of... Uh, clearly of a burn episode occurring across the entire mound or at uh -huh. least across the section that we excavated. So that was really interesting. Um, but yeah, sometimes they can just be a bunch of jumbled dirt. Sometimes they're very, very meticulously planned, but you can always tell uh, just looking at the soils that you're in a man-made mound. Whereas with the Mima mounds, how they are usually described is, like you said, they have a very large and dense 
uh, organic uh, organic zone, right, which is right, which is unusual uh, for the area. And then underneath that A zone, they go almost directly into basically sterile soils. So you're looking at gravels and and uh, almost all the way to bedrock immediately. The way they were making it sound. Right. So, yeah. But I like but, you. I've never actually seen a meme amount bisected. But here's here's the deal. I recommend everybody should everybody do this. Get on your computer and go on Google Earth and Google oh, yeah. type in Mima Mounds, and you'll get the the national monument, the natural monument, which is in Washington. Yeah. But then and then keep that on your screen and then open another screen where you Google the Hopewell Culture National Historic Park. Yeah, I think that's what it's called. And get get a nice aerial view of that, and you can compare them one you know side by side. With a Hopewell, that is um, it's about 22 acres enclosed by um, an earth embankment, and there's a bunch of circular mounds and one nice, beautiful oval-shaped mound. And some of these mounds are single burials, and some of them are multiple burials. Right. But check when you look at them side by side, from a very general perspective. Well, yeah, they kind of look alike because they're circular, but in fact, it's the um, the the cultural ones, the the burial mounds are far more regular in appearance. Now, right. the Hopewell Culture National um, Monument there, that has been reconstructed. I think um, uh, back in the earlier part of the 20th century, that was kind of wiped out, and I believe there was a National Guard encampment there. Uh -huh. but, they had to, but they had lots of photographs, and they were able to reconstruct the mounds. That was a kind of cool project, wasn't it? Yeah, I'm not sure. But, but if you compare them side by side, it's, it's a nice kind of instructive lesson where the meme mounds, it looks like natural packing of lots and lots and lots and lots of these circular uh, piles of earth, where in the case of Hopewell, they're much more spread out and there's more diversity in terms of their size and even their shape. So you don't get a nice big oval mound in the meme mounds. You get a beautiful um, oval or elliptical mound in the case of the Hopewell culture. Um, national Park, well, and National that's the, Historical Park. And that's the difference between a planned mound and a mound that is occurring due to natural processes. So, yeah, you have a much more uh, symmetrical uh, item than, right. than you would get if you're just leaving it to natural forces. Right. Um, and I highly recommend anybody, if you're ever in Ohio, the Hobo Culture National Historical Park is a it's a wonderful place. It's got a, a great museum and terrific staff there that I'll you know give you a tour of the place. Um, it's a really interesting. It's a necropolis. Yeah. It's a place where obviously this is sacred space in which probably primarily important people were buried. And there's there's a, a remains of a structure there where they cremated uh, folks preparing their bones for burial. Some people were buried that way. Some people I think were buried. Um, uh, their whole bodies buried and not not burned. I've, um, I've visited there. Don't they have one of the mounds um, so you can walk through it? Here's the deal about that, Sarah. Okay. When I was there, I visited that mound years ago. Right. Uh, that site years ago. And yep, as you walk through the the earth embankment there on the the first mound on your left was a burial mound which was open. And so there's like a, you know, the, the folks who maintained that put a door there and you could actually walk into the mound yeah. and the human burial and artifacts were left in situ. And I, if I remember correctly, it was like a plexiglass um, 
I um, don't think when I was there that the remains were in situ, but I think they did have kind of like a staged uh, grave goods yeah. space. I, 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 it's been so long, and I, I, I thought whatever. But here's the deal: I think that the last time I was there, which is just a couple of years ago, seven yeah. years ago. That has been completely closed off. Has it? So okay. that, yeah, you can't enter into the mound anymore. And I think that that was, at least in part, was done because of the Native Americans who felt that this was, um, it, it was not the appropriate thing to do at a burial of one of their ancestors. I am and, not a huge fan of displaying human remains either. I do not like when museums do it in any way, shape, or form. So right. I can totally get behind that. Yeah, I think... If I remember correctly now, at the Kolomoki site, which is down in the southeast, which is a, a large temple mound, but there's also a, the museum itself is actually built into the side of a significant, substantial burial mound mm -hmm. that, that when you walk to the back of the museum, you actually are walking into the guts of the mound. But I'm pretty sure that the skeletons there are replicas. They're not the actual remains of the people who were buried in the mound. See, and I don't know why, but like having a replica out doesn't bother me. It's having the actual remains out. I, that bothers me. It's like, this is right. a person. Well, I mean, it's, I think that, that in a, in a case like that, to just get a little bit off topic here, Yeah, um, we are a little just bit, imagine, right. well, but no, just imagine, um, you know, a, 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 a burial site for in Washington, DC, with uh, you know uh, Arlington National Cemetery, and say, well, let's let's open up some of those graves so people can see the, the bones of the 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 soldiers. And I think most people would find that completely out of line. Right. Well, that's not that different when you're looking at. It's not different at all. In fact, if you're you're talking about Native American burials, and um, I do remember years ago, and this is an apocryphal story. I have no <laughs> idea if it's true, but I heard, and this is when I was in grad school. So we're talking about. Um, the 19, early 1970s, <laughs> that, that a group of, of Native Americans who are graduate students at a university actually wrote a, a very authentic and legitimate grant proposal to the National Science Foundation to excavate burials in Massachusetts at an old colonial cemetery. This is an established cemetery behind a church that they felt, well, you know, we, we will dig up the, the, the bones, the remains of, you know, uh, Priscilla, and John Alden, and see what their diets were like. We can study their bones. And they did it. I mean, of course, it was a symbolic protest that, of course, they were turned down because what they were asking was, in fact, illegal. Although, right, but it's although totally scientifically, legit, it was though. totally legit. Yeah. But what the point that they were making was, well, you know, archaeologists do this all the time. You dig up our ancestors. How come we can't dig up yours? Right, and they, exactly. It, they, made, they made, I think, a very valuable point. They did. And I mean, if, if that proposal had gotten accepted, I, you know, I, they would have dug up some really valuable information, too. I, yes. it's, it's all about, for me, uh, having no actual horse in the race, it's, it's all about what you've learned and how respectful you are after the point. Cause so, sometimes you just, you come across, especially when you're doing mound research or you're in an area that is uh, you you're expecting to come across a prehistoric civilization. The possibility of running into human remains is always there. Right. Um, and I know a lot of groups, a lot of States require there to be a um, tribal monitor now uh, uh -huh. so that 
you, this problem doesn't pop up or when it does pop up, it can be dealt with immediately. Um, but there are situations in a lot of museums where they do display uh, human remains. And I'm not just talking about like Native American human remains. I, right. I remember going to a museum in uh, Georgia and they had a uh, display on Genghis Khan, which was actually really interesting. But well, as sure. you walked through it, um, they put up several different, dis- they had a, a small display in the back that had a, uh, a I guess, a Mongolian style burial. And they made it very clear that they were actually displaying the skeleton right. of a woman. And I was just like, I don't think it's a pro-. And I actually talked to them about it. I said, I do not feel like it is appropriate that you are displaying human remains. Like it would be one thing if you're like, this is a fake skeleton and we've repositioned it in the way that it would have been found in the burial. That's different than saying, no, we're actually just put a dead person there for everybody to come and gawk at. You know, and it's just like, it's, that's exactly what you did. Hey, listen, Sarah, do yourself a favor and never go to the Muter Museum in Pennsylvania, okay. which is kind of a museum of, of medical procedures. And uh-huh. there are lots and lots and lots of human skeletons, most of which um, are the skeletons of people who suffered from severe uh, genetic mutations. So you've got lots of, of very strange people who obviously had extraordinary challenges in their lives. Yeah. Um, and skeleton, lots of skeletons, of, of fetal skeletons and all kinds of stuff. So never go there because those are all legit. Those are all real. I understand needing that kind of stuff for study purposes as a person in the field Right. You know, but this you, is this is you need museum. to learn these things, but, but this is a museum for all to go to. Yeah, yeah no, I'm not. I'm that bodies thing that went through totally against That's that. That's not into it. Ah. Um, you but know, with, anyway, yes. Back to the meme amounts. Back to the meme amounts. So, Sarah, um, I, I, since you are the director, the chief, the the the, the chief <laughs> cook and bottle washer of this, I'm going to ask you <laughs> to provide the audience, the listening audience, with. The best common, the, the 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 best accepted explanation for what the meme amounts are, because it's great. Okay, and I'm going to do that right after we get back from break. There you go. Because you are correct. It There's is a cliffhanger. Right. It there. is probably my favorite explanation for anything yes. ever. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the Fileo Fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. And we're back. And, and Sarah, we left, we, left that, we left our listeners. We did. With a cliffhanger. So how well these meme amounts, these bizarre things that they're all looking at now on Google Earth, what made those circular piles of dirt? Well, I, I want to tell you that it was aliens because I want everything to be aliens. Um, but it's not. It has a natural so, explanation that is the so, mo- is the most accepted. So we're not going to see an episode of Ancient Aliens with Giorgio traipsing over the meme amounts and saying aliens. I, I actually think there is an episode of Asian Aliens with somebody traipsing through the Mima Mounds trying oh to explain aliens. Yeah, oh, I, all right. I'm pretty sure that was something I came across. Um, but, but tell us, the real explanation, I think, is a hell of a <laughs> lot more interesting, isn't it? 
It is, and I love it so much. So the Mima Mounds, the, the, the most widely accepted explanation for the creation and maintenance of the Mima Mounds is giant rodents. <laughs> Specifically, pocket gophers, who apparently have are called that because they have fur-lined pockets in their cheeks. I don't have any idea what they store in those pockets, but... Credit cards, I their guess, keys, wallet shovels apparently um but what these these rodents do and they they don't look like they're that big but they're they're larger than a regular rodent um is they move dirt towards the center of the mound so they're constantly refreshing the soil in the center of the mound Uh which causes the mounds to grow causes them to get larger and i assume wider as well right uh so there is some uh, there, there's some valid criticism of the the idea that the rodents that the the pocket gophers are the ones making the mounds, um, and one of them is especially in the Washington area. Apparently, there are no gophers in the area. Uh, so my thought is that doesn't mean they didn't make them. It just means that they're not living there now. They could have right. had a large population at some point in the past because. Uh, in support of this idea, aside from the spacing of the mounds being the proper spacing for uh, pocket gophers who are apparently don't like each other but don't like to live that far away from each other either, <laughs> um, they are also the same size as gopher dens and often coincide with an actual gopher den. So that would be your, you know, probably the first clue. Right, There's right. almost always a gopher den underneath one of these mounds. One of the ways that they proved this, aside from just observation, was the University of San Jose in California ran a, a computer model where they put in the specifications that they needed, you know, flat ground, this kind of stuff, these rodents that can move this much dirt in this amount of time, blah, blah, blah. And then they let the model run and sped it up so that they could watch. And they did see that over about 100 years worth of time, their little digital gophers could actually build an exact replica of the Mima Mounds. Uh-huh. So they've got some hard computer data that proves that this is probably the best idea, the, the best theory that we have going. And that also that explains that that concentration of dense, very rich, organically rich soil right. on the top. Right. Because you've got it's the, you've got gophers bringing food in, gophers pooping all over the place, <laughs> gophers dying, and that's enriching the soil and making it black. One of the reasons I love that explanation, Sarah, is that way back in the day when <laughs> um, when crop circles were really a big deal. Right. There was one of the researchers, and I'll put those in scare that, that in scare quotes, <laughs> suggested that in fact that the crop circles were not alien, were not made by aliens, but they weren't made by people, by pranksters. They were made by, are you ready? Sex crazed hedgehogs. Hedgehogs. And apparently really horny hedgehogs chase after each other and run around in circles. And so oh. somebody said, ah, they're flattening the wheat and flattening the crops because they're, you know, you got males chasing females or females chasing males. And uh, those are really I, big hedgehogs. I guess so. So I'm thinking <laughs> that the gopher explanation is probably on firmer ground 
Like, that's not really intended as a pun <laughs> or as a double entendre. They're firmer ground than the crazed hedgehogs. Um, one of the things that, that some folks who are kind of skeptical about uh, the, um, the gopher explanation, one of the things they say is, well, maybe the gophers aren't making the mounds, but when the gophers move to an area where there are mounds, they take advantage of these already naturally made features because <clears throat> they're well drained. They're up, you know, that they, they yeah. so in other words, the claim is that maybe they're, yeah, maybe we find um, gopher dens in the mounds, but not because they're making the mounds, but because they seek out these mounds. Well, they're, they're using an opportunity. They're, they're opportunists. They're, yeah. They're using something that already exists as right. their habitat. So, I mean, we have to admit, you know, nobody knows absolutely for sure, for yeah. certain. But, you know, when you look, I mean, you look at the aerial photograph and you start looking at all those mounds and how they are packed almost perfectly geometrically together, it it does look like an entirely natural phenomenon. Um, there's they're, they're not spacing these things out. These things are packed in exactly as you would expect um, nature to do. Yeah, there's a lot of... I feel like there is a lot of evidence supporting the gopher theory. Um, <laughs> and, and there are other theories that are up for consideration. There's a, one of them is uh, a lot of the areas experience uh, vernial flooding, which is flooding that occurs in the spring and the early right. part of the summer. <coughs> we have vernal pools all over vernal. the place here in the Northeast. Yeah. Yeah. And, and what happens for people who don't know what this is, uh, the area basically floods due to the rains and the high water table, I assume, in the area. And then as it gets warmer, they dry up and go away until the rains the next year. Um, right. It's in areas where this is a phenomena. It does create an interesting landscape, especially in wetland and lowland areas. Uh -huh. um, but I don't feel like I feel like actually I think my favorite thing for the Mima is a combination of everything. I think it's a combination of gophers digging burrows and the the flooding, the seasonal flooding. And then another one of the theories is, is that it's just a natural process caused by um, basically erosion and mechanical weathering. Mm -hmm. So there's a lot of blowing and accumulation. Because if, I mean, if you've ever been out in the woods, anybody, if you've ever been out in the woods, especially in like a windy time, you'll notice that drifts occur around raised areas, not just trees, but if there's already a berm, that berm's going to accumulate leaves and debris and snow on one side more than the other because it creates a natural windbreak and things accumulate when they run out of, out of wind to keep them moving. Mm -hmm. So that's one of the theories behind it growing. And that also would account for the thick... Uh, o horizon or a horizon on it um so i think it's a combination of everything i think once those mounds got built i think the gophers maybe started the process because they're spaced properly there's almost always a gopher hole there are currently gophers living in a lot of them so i think once the gophers got it going then the other natural processes just kind of took advantage of it and so i think they're being built and maintained through a combination of all of these processes. Right. I don't think it's one thing, basically. Right. And the, the thing too, um, the, these meme amounts, there are so many of them, they're circular, so they appear to be sort of, that's artificial, what creates circles in nature. Right. Um, but they're, they're one of a, of a 
a vast number of natural features that to the untrained eye look too regular, too patterned or too consistent to be natural. Yes. But um, th- we have here in the Northeast, we have mounds that are called moulins, M-O-U-L-I-N or moulin canes. And they are, <clears throat> we, do, we do not have conical mounds, artificial mounds. We don't have burial mounds in Connecticut, but you can drive across um, an, an ancient glacial landscape and see mounds that are circular at the base that are in some cases pretty substantially sized 10 20 or 30 feet high and kind of conical in in um, cross section mm-hmm. and they are in fact glacial features yeah and what's cool is that you can go to areas that today are glaciated and where the glaciers are melting and you can see these streams these are these are appear to be small brooks streams or even medium-sized rivers that are flowing across the top of the ice yeah and actually they end up eroding um what are waterfalls and cascades into the ice and and since these rivers are glaciers are not just big ice cubes they're not static things they are there's rock on them there's soil on them there's all this junk that they pulled up as they've scoured the area underneath and it's been it's been mixed around in the ice and so when, the, when these rivers flow on the tops of glaciers and flow down to their bases, they bring with them um, sediment, yes. uh, rocks, gla- and essentially glacial moraine. And when that happens, the glacier melts out, this stuff piles up at the bottom of these cascades or waterfalls. And when the whole glacier melts away, what's left behind is a mound. Mm-hmm. But again, if you excavate that mound, it doesn't look anything like a, a human-made burial mound, it looks like a big pile of glacial debris, of glacial moraine, with lots of cobbles and, and rounded cobbles because they've all been um, um, spun around at the bottom of the glacier or spun around in the stream. But if you drive by one of these things, and there's one not that far from where I live, if you didn't know what the glacial process was for producing these, you'd look at that and say, "My, that looks like a burial mound. Right. But in fact, the geologists have gone through and they've cored the thing. And it very clearly is this glacial feature called a moulin, a moulin cave. And they're, they're cool, but it's part of, it's, it's, don't, don't misunderstand here. When you see features in the natural world that are patterned or consistent, that doesn't mean human beings played a role in the, in making them. And that's, a, that's actually a common mistake made by some of the folks the ancient astronauts people and the Atlantis people who see f- natural features, they think that, well, they're so patterned, they're so regular, they're so consistent, that couldn't be nature. It must have been produced by humans. But in fact, there are natural processes that produce patterned features um, all of the time. And Moulin Caves are one of them. These Mima Mounds are another. Um, the oh, Bosnian Pyramids. Well, yeah, that's how we talked about the Bosnian, Bosnian Pyramids, where simply because a mountain has what appear to be kind of regular angles to it, um, that's absolutely doesn't, doesn't mean anything because nature does that all the time. My, my favorite, favorite example of that, and maybe I mentioned it, mentioned it previously, is um, in California, there's, a, again, a, natural, a, a national monument. It's called the Devil's Post Pile National Monument. 
and it's <laughs> it's absolutely not natural. Uh, if you've ever heard of the Giant's Causeway in Ireland, it's exactly the same geological um, process that produced it. These are large columns of basalt. Uh, basalt is a volcanic rock. So this was igneous. It was it was molten, and certain basalts, when they solidify, solidify in regularly shaped columns. Yes. Um, and the ones in Devil's, Devil's Postpile, I think, I think they're hexagonal. Yeah, pretty sure they're hexagonal. And when you when you walk the trail at Devil's Postpile, the first the first part of the trail, you're walking along the edge of that cliff, and you can see these amazing, very, very lengthy columns that look very regular, and all they are, it's almost like crystals. It's like the growth of huge basalt crystals. Well, that's basically what they are. Yeah. And when you get, the cool thing is when you get to the very top of the trail, you are walking on the tops of those columns. Oh, cool. And and they they all sit together like little hexagonal pavers. I, I've got a photograph. I, I think it's in my Frauds book, but I, I, I show it in class all the time. I have a photograph of the top of that because I, I hiked there, hiked to the top. And so you've got this very regular shape. They look like, hexagonal pavers like you would find on a, a cityscape and right next to it i have a photograph of the the um the street the, the sidewalk right across from the american museum of natural history in manhattan where in fact they use these black i don't know if they're asphalt or stone pavers uh, on that on that walkway and they look very very similar but yeah. in one case you've got a, a completely natural process and in the other you have obviously um uh, architectural elements of the sidewalk. Um, but it's really cool. They, they look very similar. When you look more closely, you can see that, yeah, nature has produced something that human beings have produced as well. That's a that's a big issue in um, – the, there have been – for years now, there are folks who are uh, – who dive uh, in the area around Bimini. And they have found what they what – they, what some people have claimed to be either a road – you know, this is submarine. This is under water. Oh, yeah. A road or a wall, and they call it the, you know, the Bimini Wall. Yeah, it's Bimini. part of the lost continent of Atlantis. Yeah. Um, I've spoken to geologists who actually have dived on that and have investigated that. And they say, no, no, it's this incredibly cool geological feature called tessellated pavement in which rocks underwater, especially volcanic rocks, when they solidify, they solidify in these kind of regular shapes with intersections between them. So it looks like you've got, you know, individual large, um, almost cyclopean walls, like the walls of the Inca that the Inca built. But in fact, it's entirely natural. You can see the same thing uh, in, in, on a beach in Tasmania. Um, Again, if you go and Google tessellated pavement, and you'll see these amazing um, surfaces on beaches. Now, these are areas are now um, exposed, so you can actually walk over them. And especially if you look at small sections of it, it looks absolutely artificial. But then when you look at it from a grander scale, you see, wow, nature is capable of, of producing some amazing looking stuff that's entirely natural, but that looks very patterned very consistent, very regular. Well, I think and this 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 is part of people not understanding how, I mean, this is not entirely off topic, but people not understanding how rock forms and that rock is basically, I mean, people understand crystals, especially a lot of people <coughs> believe in this kind of stuff. 
And so they yeah. understand that crystals grow in very regular formations and they, you know, they, they have like salt is a crystal and it has a shape and all crystals, different types of crystals have different types of shapes and rock is basically the same thing. I mean, I think it literally is the exact same thing. And so when rock forms, it can form these, these regular crystalline shapes as well. And so if you can accept that a crystal can grow naturally in a regular shape, you should also be able to accept that rock itself can do that. And, and on a, a larger scale than you're used to seeing. A much larger scale. Crystals, they think of these little tiny things. Right. But in the case of the Devil's Postpile, in the case of Giant's, uh, Giant's Causeway, well, you're looking at road, a much yeah. larger scaled kind of featuring, but feature, but again, it's this very regular, very patterned and very consistent. Yeah, and it does. I mean, I'm, I'm looking at pictures of them right now. They do look very, actually an untrained eye, they do look very man-made especially when you think of things like megaliths prehistoric megaliths and such where right. it's regular but it's very rough looking so yeah rough. if you if you have that in mind when you're looking at these things and yeah you're going to instantly see oh lost civilization but that's not well, what you're here's but here's you want the funniest application of that sarah is from our good buddy eric von Doniken. now <laughs> i can't remember which of his books in which of his books this appears but there's an island in the Pacific called Nan Maydol, N-A-N, second word, M-A-D-O-L. And that island, it's a volcanic island, and the, the processes, the, the geological features that we're talking about here for Giant's Causeway and for Devil's Postpile National Monument were in play here on Nan Maydol. What the, here's the really cool thing. The local people actually quarried these large... Um, columns of basalt out of a natural quarry and they use them to produce buildings. Yeah. The buildings, essentially using these columns like you would use logs yeah, to make a log cool. house. And it's incredibly cool. Um, and yeah, they're really heavy and they probably would have been difficult to move, but they were certainly capable of doing that. When Von Donneken, now I'm going to to to, um, I can't quote Von Donneken. I'm going to paraphrase him here, but I remember very clearly Von Donneken describing the, these features, these these logs that Nam made all, and suggesting that they had been cut with lasers. Oh, yeah. Which, of course, is absolutely absurd. Now, it's really cool that these people looked at, they didn't have a lot of trees on their island, but they had a lot of basalt columns. They said, you know what? We could use these as architectural elements. We could use these as raw material to build very, very sturdy structures. And that's exactly what they did. Mm -hmm. They never underestimate the capability of people to take advantage of, to exploit their natural surroundings, to move really heavy stuff, and to figure out challenges like, well, how do we quarry these? How do we move them? Um, and so, again, it's incredibly cool natural features that look very patterned, but that are entirely natural and people using them as such. Well, if you think about it, though, if you're living in an area where you have these perfect basalt columns, I mean, I'm looking at pictures of them. They're beautiful. Right, why, cool. wouldn't, why wouldn't you use them? They break away from each other probably fairly easily. Right. You, you probably could just with a couple little blows, pull them apart. And then all you've got to do is figure out how to cart these things to wherever you're getting them. 
Why yeah, wouldn't you, you use them? <laughs> yeah, you would think, I, I'm, I'm pretty sure that these things clearly, if you hit them in the right way, they're going to break along those those planes in between the individual columns. Well, I mean, they do it naturally, so surely right. you could Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. There's, we don't have, in Connecticut, we do not have that kind of feature, but we have some really cool basalt. And there's a, a hike I always take with my, my field, schools, field school students up to the top of Talcott Mountain, which is in Connecticut, a mountain can be like 900 feet tall. It's not like really a mountain. But at the top, there's this beautiful geological exposure where you've got these, they're not columns, they're more like prismatic shapes of, um, prismatic columns of, of basalt coming out of the mountain and they're not as not nearly as regularly shaped as what we were talking about here but again it's you know pretty cool there's some consistency to them and again it's entirely natural uh let's take a quick break and when we come back we will kind of dive back into the mima mounds and wrap this up The CRM Archaeology Podcast brings together a panel of cultural resource management professionals to discuss the issues that really matter to the profession. Find out about networking strategies, job hunting, graduate programs, and much more. We'll often feature interviews with college professors, CRM business owners, and experts as well. Check out the show on iTunes, Stitcher Radio, and at www.archaeologypodcastnetwork.com forward slash CRM Podcast. Let's get back to the show. So we are back and we are wrapping up our talk about the Mima Mounds uh, that were created by giant rodents. And yes, you heard that come away from this podcast. Uh, not, but not extraterrestrial rodents. No, earthbound. Good American rodents. <laughs> Good. So th- there is a couple things about the, ma- about the giant rodent thing and the Mima Mound thing. Apparently, um, like I said earlier, the Mima Mound phenomena happens all over the world. Um, in Africa, I believe they have things called fairy rings, which I have no idea why you would call them that in Africa, because I didn't think any of those cultures there have any concept of fairies. Yeah, but you know, there are a whole lot of Europeans moved into Africa over yeah. during the colonial, as a result of colonialism, and so maybe that those that term derives from them. Well, and I believe it's in Mexico where they call them pimple mounds, so take that how you want. Yeah. Um, pimple does not sound really appetizing. No, why? Yeah, it'd be terrifying. Can you jump up and down on one of them and Ew, pop it? stop. All right, Ew. never mind. Too much. Too far. Too far. <laughs> but but so- I, do, I do recommend everybody look up. Uh, Google, go go to Google and look, at, look up images of pocket gophers because they're kind of adorable. They really are. And they're not as giant as I'm making them sound, but I do like just saying that's giant rodents. Uh, yeah, but... Th- so there, these do appear. These do happen in other parts of the world, and they're not always necessarily associated with pocket gophers because apparently they do exist in other places besides North America. Um, but the argument has been made that other burrowing rodents, similar to a gopher, uh, would also be making, or just another kind of gopher, might be making these similar mounts because they're not identically placed. Like the Mima Mounds in Washington, 
the placement of the mounds is very specific. Um, I'm going to guess that the African fairy rings are more round, more ring-shaped, hence the name. So, you know, different types of gophers are going to create different types of neighborhoods, basically. So that's probably what we're looking at here. Yeah, but then again, if you, if you look up pocket gopher, uh, along with seeing pictures of pocket gophers, you'll see photographs as well of their towns. Their towns. And sure enough, there are these little round, round mounds peppering yeah. the landscape. Yeah. Now, whether they are exactly the same, uh, we, we don't want to make the same mistake we accuse other people of making, that, that two things that kind of look similar, you know, when you squint are necessarily the same thing and have the same etiology. But at least it's it, there's a possibility that we're looking at the same kinds of things. Well, and we have more than just squinting at the images of right. the towns. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we, we have data to back up these claims. They really are adorable. In one of these photographs that I'm seeing, it's like the, it's circular areas where there's no vegetation. The vegetation is all around it. So something is obviously wiping out the vegetation in these kind of circular patterns. But in one of these, it looks like an actual ring of vegetation. Oh, yeah. These don't look anything like those. No, uh-uh. Oh. Okay, ignore the African fairy ring thing. Apparently, I but, need to no, but more. No, no, let's not ignore them. They're incredibly cool. They are cool looking, but they are not mountains. They are literally no. dyed off rings of vegetation. Yeah, exactly. Huh. wonder what causes that. Could be gophers. But all, all I know is if you look carefully enough, it, you find National Geographic talking about it. New theory explains Africa's mysterious fairy rings. So you, I, Can we just take a minute... Because I don't believe we can trust National Geographic anymore. And I, I <laughs> hate saying that, it's but sadness, isn't they it? have they have drank the Kool-Aid and they're no longer reliable, in my opinion. Um, if you choose to accept them as a knowledgeable source, then I can do nothing for you. But Well, I think at this point also, there's, we have to distinguish the magazine itself from the research that they fund, from the, the stuff that they put on TV. That, and then that's the part that kills me because they do, at least they have in the past, funded real research and real expeditions and real data collection. And then they put like trash pickers on their channel. So, yeah, I don't know. Well, it's also the case that Rupert Murdoch has purchased. Ah, well, that, that explains everything. Right so that's, yes. So that's, that, there's, there's a problem right there. Although I don't know how much um, impact he has on the content of the magazine. When I when he bought it out, I think the the larger concern was what he was going to do with the you know their various um, incarnations on cable. So yes, so Mima mounds are incredibly cool, but they're incredibly natural. Um, they are, and and it's you know it's it's really okay that we have things like the Mima mounds where we we walk away from it going well we think we know what the source here is, but we're not exactly sure. And just because there are similar things elsewhere in the world doesn't mean they have the same explanation. This is true. Uh, and then what science is all about is being open to new ideas and new explanations. So, I mean, if you want to say, oh no, the Mima mounds are, you know, were built by guys from Atlantis or it's burial mounds in Washington or it's ancient astronauts. Well, that's a perfectly decent, it's a perfect, well, I won't say it's a perfectly decent hypothesis, but I'll say, well, it's a hypothesis and <laughs> that can very be, you know, be very easily tested 
and people have excavated these things. They're not cultural. They're entirely natural. And we're just still not exactly sure what the natural cause is. No, and, and like you were saying, it could be different things in different areas. Like what <clears throat> what makes them right? What makes them in one area probably might or may not be the thing that makes them in another area. They're just getting a similar result. Right. It reminds me <coughs> a little bit of those, where is it in the, is it somewhere in the Nevada <coughs> where the rocks move by themselves? Oh yeah, from the, the ice. There's like a, yeah. a, an icing thing that happens. Is that what it is? And I the think wind so. blows and the, and the Death rocks Valley. leave trails. Yeah. That's another, that's another really cool thing. And geologists have to deal with that more than archaeologists where it's like, this is a really interesting phenomenon and we're not exactly sure what caused it, what causes it. And people have looked for years and now they've actually come up with a pretty good model for how nature yeah. can move rocks. Yeah. Um, at least move rocks in the desert. In glacial, glaciated areas, it's easy. Ice can move rocks. But in this case, it's a combination of kind of really super reducing the friction on the surface. And with enough wind, it can, you know, you can blow stuff. Yeah, they. I, I've seen them recreate that situation. And it is, is, right? it is pretty amazing to watch. It's really cool. Because it's yeah, like, that's not going to really... work. And then it does work. And then you're like, ooh. Yeah. The world is full of really cool stuff, geologically yeah. and archaeologically. And um, we're but, always open to new explanations. But, you know, we're just demanding of evidence. Exactly. As scientists, which, believe it or not, archaeologists actually are, um, when we are confronted with something like the Mima Mounds, uh, the first thing we did was cut one open and once we did that we realized they were not man-made and then we started looking for other solutions to the problem as opposed to just jumping to aliens exactly yes so. i'm glad you said we cut one of the mounds open and not one of those adorable pocket gophers so funny story uh yeah no it, it's just so many things i've chopped through by digging shovel test pits i'm not going to say they didn't cut one of the poor little gophers open in the process but probably it was smart enough to get out of the way when it heard everybody tromping up towards its little hole so yes well talking of of of, of giant rodents we have in connecticut we have woodchucks <laughs> yes um woodchucks. And the woodchucks are you know the the they really are giant like puxatawney phil or whatever right but anyhow we we were um uh, the state archaeologist of Connecticut, who at the time was Doug Jordan, lovely man, is now uh, passed away. Um, he had a lot of a lot of contacts with um, our amateur archaeologists, and a local landowner in South Windsor called up Doug and said, "Well, I'm walking around these big gopher holes that we've got, these big woodchuck holes, and uh, in the back dirt of some of these woodchuck holes, he found spear points." Nice. And of course, we joked that, "Oh my God." They've learned to make stone tools. <laughs> the woodchucks, now we're screwed because we live in areas where there are woodchucks. And if they're armed, it's going to be trouble. Uh, what happened, of course, was that the woodchucks had accidentally and coincidentally had dug through uh, like a 3,600-year-old um, late archaic, yeah, late archaic site um, in, in, Eastern, in central Connecticut along the Connecticut River. And we called it Woodchuck Knoll because, nice. in fact, the, the knoll where the site was under which the site was located was a little bit higher, a little bit drier. So when the river flooded, um, that knoll stayed dry on top. And in fact, so people have been using that for, for millennia and the woodchucks liked it because it was a little bit drier. They dug through and up popped spear points. So what we did was 
we we isolated the area. We set it. We set up um, uh, an excavation grid, and we, in fact, in one case, actually dug through like a woodchuck town um, <laughs> because the site. In fact, they had they were in the heart of the site. So at the end of the field season, and you, I'm Sarah. I know you guys have you've seen this. You've done this. Where at the end of the field season, you know, you have a big party, and maybe somebody makes. Uh, shirts for everybody to wear nice. and somewhere i've got this ratty old shirt that says woodchuck knoll you know field season 1978 or whatever <laughs> and the image on the shirt is of a woodchuck holding a, a spear with a half dead stone point hey you know when they when they finally figure it out we are doomed they are very large animals yeah they're, they're large and uh yeah, if they get weapons, we are kind of screwed. We're screwed. So actually, that, that's it's good that you brought that up because eventually one of these burrowing, one of these pocket guys is going to pop up with some kind of artifact that they're eventually going to dig far enough that they'll come up with something. Right, exactly, because, yeah. Because animals, burrowing animals and tree falls are both a bane and the blessing of oh, right. yeah, every yeah. archaeological site ever. Um so, yeah, I mean, things to keep in mind if you're walking by and you, you see a rodent burrow and you see stuff outside the rodent burrow, probably they're not arming themselves, but you Let's may want to give your state archaeologist a call. Yeah, but how about this? I was uh, excavating a site that was uh, like 2,000-year-old site with pottery, the whole deal. And at the same level of the, the, the occupation level where we were finding ceramics, <laughs> we found a beer bottle. <laughs> Yep. And when we looked really carefully at the profile, what had happened was it was a woodchuck burrow that had gone through the site and that at some point some farmer threw a beer bottle in and then filled in the hole because yeah. he didn't want to get his tractor to get stuck or one of the cows to break a leg by falling in it. And it had been packed down for probably a couple of hundred years, especially if this was just a not obviously not a track guy that wouldn't have filled in with his tractor. Right. But, um, but so it was difficult to see it had been packed down. So, uh, so it was so dense, but very clearly that was an instance in which either again, you know, people 2000 years ago had Budweiser beer or, um, you know, some, <laughs> obviously we had not been careful enough in looking at the stratigraphy. Uh, and then, yeah, the stratigraphy is, is important there, but you get that more, than people think you do that and that's why a lot of times when people tell me oh well they found this artifact at the same level that they were finding you know ancient spear points and stuff or, you know and they'll try to throw that at me as evidence and it's like yeah i don't doubt for a minute that they were because animals do that or, or you know fox burrows fox like fox like to dig and burrow as well so do rabbits and when farmers come across these things very often they will fill the holes in in an attempt to get rid of the animals and Which they'll mixes up the stratigraphy yeah, yeah and absolutely. they'll fill it up with whatever is available and a lot of times it's just topsoil from around the area and if you've ever driven down a country road or walked along a field near a country road, there is a lot of modern trash that just gets shoved down into that hole. Or oh, they just yeah. fill it with modern trash, you know? Yeah. It just becomes the trash hole. But you know what? It's also the case, not only does nature do that, but people do it. Yeah. So that if you can have a 4,000-year-old site and people move back to this same spot 2,000 years later, and when they're digging their trash pits or digging their burials, they can yep. They'll go uh, right encounter ancient sites. And then the stuff gets 
all mixed together and you have 2000 year old artifacts stylistically 2000 year old artifacts stylistically 4000 year old artifacts side by side or even where the stratigraphy is reversed yeah. so that you look at you have the 2000 year old artifact that is actually in terms of just depth is below the 4000 year old artifact yeah and and most of the times you can see that in the stratigraphy so you know what you're dealing with but Great. yeah when that when those kind of situations happen archaeologists don't immediately assume time travel they assume right. bioturbation but but it is it, it absolutely is a reason why archaeologists are try to be assiduously careful mm. when we look at that that's why we're so obsessed about keeping those stratigraphic profiles clean so we can see where that kind of stuff happened where you've got intrusive pits where you've got a mixed up stratigraphy where obviously something has dug down into that and flipped the stuff yeah you just gotta be careful it's also why we sharpen our trials so Absolutely. Little little known fact. Actually, it's not that little known, but archaeologists do sharpen their trowels. Very oh, much yeah. Athletes. So, final thoughts, Ken? Um, Sarah, I think that, that again, the, the general theme here if everybody is, look, you know, you just, nature produces things on a, 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 a that, that can look pretty damn patterned. Yeah. Um, they look at first glance maybe that it's not natural, but you, you just have to look more deeply into any of these features to determine whether or not a person made it or it was, in fact, uh, the result of some natural geological process or biological process. And we as humans were pattern seekers. It's just how we're programmed. It's what we do. So it's you're going to see a pattern where there isn't one. So that just means you have to look even harder because yeah. you can get past it, but you have to yeah. look. And nature isn't random. Nature isn't, you know, there are, look at a snowflake. That's right? sure. Fractals, fractals occur in nature. Yeah. So. Cool. All right, man. Thanks. Been great, Sarah. And we'll talk to you next time. Yeah. See you then. Trials as one will call. No, we don't do a dinosaur. Thanks for listening. We hope you've enjoyed it. Our music was provided by Archaeosuit Productions. If you like what you've heard, please subscribe and rate us on iTunes or Stitcher and share us wherever you use social media. You can contact us with your questions, comments, or angry email at archiefantasies at gmail.com. You can follow the podcast at www.archaeologypodcastnetwork.com slash archiefantasies. You can follow the blog at www.archiefantasies.com and get updates on Tumblr and Twitter at Archie Fantasies. You can also look for us on Facebook. If you're looking for the show notes for this episode, go to the podcast website at www.archaeologypodcastnetwork.com slash Fantasies. Thanks again for listening. No, we don't do dinosaurs. No, we don't do dinosaurs. We don't do dinosaurs. This show was produced by Chris Webster and Tristan Boyle and was edited by Chris Webster. This has been a presentation of the Archaeology Podcast Network. Visit us on the web for show notes and other podcasts at www.archaeologypodcastnetwork.com. Contact us at chris at archaeologypodcastnetwork.com.